patrons heard this episode first. If you'd like to join our Patreon, visit the link in our show notes or go to patreon.com slash the murder diaries pod. One of the fun perks patrons get is a shout out in an episode. Speaking of, thanks so much, Jen and Jessica. We'd also like to thank Natasha for the coffee via Buy Me a Coffee, which you can find in our show notes. Welcome back to another episode of The Murder Diaries. I'm Paige. And I'm Natalie. Anita Knutson's family and friends called her a champion of the underdog. She was always a voice for the quiet ones. Her close family and friends considered her to be one of the nicest people they'd ever known. As a high school student, she even once stood up to the principal when she felt that he'd wronged her friend. And the principal ended up apologizing. In the summer of 2007, someone forever silenced her voice that had stood up for so many. The beautiful, kind, smart, and aspiring teacher was found stabbed to death in her off-campus apartment. For more than 15 years, her case remained cold. Until recently. This is her story. You still think it's in my head I'm walking with the dead. Anita May Knudsen was born September 22, 1988. We don't have a lot of information on her biological parents, but when she was just a baby, Gordon and Sharon Knudsen adopted her. Then later, they adopted her younger siblings, Daniel and Anna. Together, the Knudsen family lived in the small town of Butte, North Dakota, located about two hours south of the Canadian border. Family and friends say the Knutsons were known for being kind and very close-knit. Anita's father, Gordon, was actually the mayor of Butte at one time. He told True Crime Daily a story that reflects Anita's character while she was growing up. He says the high school principal had sent another girl home for not following the school's dress code. That's when Anita stepped in. Always the rooter of the underdog, Anita studied the school's rulebook. She then met with the principal and said, I think you need to apologize to the girl. The principal responded that he made the rules, and Anita replied, I know you do. They're written down. Each day, she asked if he had apologized to the girl, until finally one day, the principal did apologize. He had mistakenly sent the girl home for a rule that was not officially in the rule book. A clip from True Crime Daily shows a young and vibrant Anita pretending to do a weather report in a wide open field. This is Anita Knudsen reporting live from Covenant, Dakota. There is a ginormous tornado coming towards us in the southeast. Anita, clearly a rule follower, dreamed of becoming a teacher. After high school, she enrolled at Minot State University to study elementary education. Anita wasn't just beautiful and joyful. She was extremely hardworking as well. At 18 years old, she was working two jobs, including one at a local hotel and another at a clothing store that was at the local mall. Both of those jobs were helping her get through her first year at Minot State. The front desk clerk at the Minot's Fairfield Inn, Denise, told the Bismarck Tribune that Anita had worked at the hotel for about a year. She was helping housekeepers clean rooms. Her sister, Anna, told the Daily Beast that Anita always had a lot of friends around her, and she really enjoyed school. Minot State was also a convenient location for Anita's close-knit family. It was just about an hour north from where she grew up in Butte. Anita made sure to keep in touch with her family, and she spoke to her mom every day. Her siblings, Anna and Daniel, were attending a high school that was only 30 minutes from Minot State, so she saw them multiple times a week. The last time that any of her family spoke to her was Friday, June 1st, 2007. Sharon recalls that her daughter told her that she was going home. The next day, Anita didn't show up for her job at the local hotel. 
Anna, Anita's sister, told the Daily Beast that she would have frequent conversations with Anita and that it was strange for her not to answer her phone. Anita's parents, Gordon and Sharon, were further away than usual that weekend. They were two hours south of Minot for Daniel's baseball tournament in Bismarck. Sharon, who usually checked in with Anita every day, said that on Saturday, Anita didn't answer her phone. On Sunday, there was still no answer from Anita. Again, it was not like Anita to ignore phone calls, especially from the family. On Monday, Sharon asked Gordon to drive up to Minot to check on the soon-to-be sophomore. And that's what he did. On that day, Monday, June 4th, 2007, Anita's father, Gordon, made the hour-long drive from Butte to Minot. He dropped off Anita's sister, Anna, at a friend's house along the way. When he arrived at Anita's apartment, he noticed her car was parked outside of it. He knocked on the door. There was no answer. He tried to enter the apartment, but the door was locked. Gordon called the complex's manager to let him into Anita's apartment. At first, the manager refused to open the door for Gordon, out of fear that she might get in trouble. Gordon replied that she'd probably get in more trouble if she did not let him inside. The manager's boyfriend, who also happened to be the maintenance manager, stepped in to help. That's when he said that he found a window screen in the yard that was slit down the middle. It was the missing window screen to Anita's bedroom. Gordon noticed a woman face down on her bed and felt the head through the window. That's when he demanded that the manager and the boyfriend open up the door to Anita's apartment. This time, they obliged. At first glance, the apartment looked untouched until they got to Anita's bedroom. Her body was face down on her bed, just like Gordon had seen through the window. She was covered in blood and covered with a house robe. Gordon felt his daughter and her skin was cold to the touch. He says he knew immediately that she had passed. Gordon, still in shock, called his family to deliver the news. Anna, Anita's sister, told the Daily Beast that she'd received an ominous phone call from her dad, telling her that her brother was going to pick her up and don't ask questions, just go home. She remembered getting in the car with her brother Daniel and noticed that he'd clearly been crying, which was unusual. She said he wouldn't tell her what was going on, so she just started guessing. Is it Aunt Karen? Uncle Joe? Anita? Daniel started crying again and said, she's dead. She remembers they sat in silence the entire rest of the 30-minute drive home. Sharon, Anita's mom, told True Crime Daily about the extreme guilt she felt. She had told the adoption agency that she would protect Anita from harm for her entire life. Anita's siblings, Daniel and Anna, reeled from the news and struggled to make sense of why anyone would have such a grudge against Anita that they would go so far as to murder her. Anita was the nicest person. Why would anyone want to end her life? Investigators arrived on the scene almost immediately. According to the Forensics Crime Lab, the results showed that Anita was murdered on Sunday morning, a day before her father discovered her. Minot Police Chief John Klug said that the last time that anyone had heard from Anita was that Saturday. Investigator Dave Goodman told the Minot Daily News in 2012 that Anita had never shown up for her shift at the Fairfield Inn on that Saturday. It's unclear why she didn't show up to work on that Saturday, and we definitely don't want to speculate about that, but law enforcement are definitely confident that the time of death happened in the early morning hours of that Sunday morning, after she had missed her shift. Chief Klug said, quote, there hasn't been anything to indicate that it would have been earlier. I think the conclusion that was drawn was the day before she was found was the last time we knew that anybody had heard from her. So that's why we believe it would probably have been sometime the day before or the morning of. The murder weapon was considered to be a knife, which the killer used to stab Anita multiple times in the chest. 
Investigators didn't have to search long before finding the actual murder weapon, a cheap four-inch pocket knife that they found at the foot of Anita's bed. Investigators didn't find any signs of sexual abuse or defense wounds. They also made another odd observation. Nothing appeared to be missing or out of order in her apartment. Therefore, the case was never considered robbery. It was clear that this case was murder. Was it premeditated or a random attack? They weren't sure because there was no obvious sign of any motive. And the well-loved champion of the underdog had no known enemies except one. But we'll come back to that in a few minutes. The news of Anita's murder shook the town of Minot, as well as her small hometown of Butte. Family friend Aaron recently told the Fargo, North Dakota-based newspaper Inforum, quote, for me personally, and again, we were 19 at the time or however old, it was really overwhelming because it was scary. It was scary. Things like that don't happen in Minot, North Dakota. Things like that don't happen to people we know. Local newspapers reported that people in Butte did everything they could to support Gordon and Sharon Knutson. Students from Anita's former high school made pink bracelets in her honor. Other residents banded together to buy groceries for the Knutson family. At Minot State University, campus officials ramped up their security by installing video cameras in school parking lots and adding more lighting. The university's president at the time, David Fuller, told reporters in 2007 that they were also looking into creating an emergency alert system that would be used to send alerts to students' cell phones and computers. According to Minot State University's current website, they now have a staff of seven full-time and three part-time officers who provide 24-hour security on campus every day. They patrol the campus by vehicle, on foot, and they monitor the campus with surveillance video. The security team also does fingerprint services to all students and employees at no charge. Regardless of initial suspicions, the Minot Police Department collected DNA samples from everyone who was close to Anita. Investigators interviewed many people in their effort to find Anita's killer. Chief John Klug said they wouldn't release any of the DNA results, but they were hoping new technology would help them narrow down potential suspects. Many people initially pointed fingers at Anita's high school prom date, Tyler, as a potential suspect. It's clear Anita had a soft spot in her heart for Tyler, although her parents had suspicions about him. Always rooting for the underdog, Anita took a chance on the quiet and shy guy and accepted his invitation to their high school prom. According to True Crime Daily, Tyler admitted that he had a crush on Anita and that he was much more interested in her than she was him. Tyler and Anita did stay friends after high school, though. Tyler even moved into the same apartment complex as Anita while they were attending Minot State University. Anita's sister Anna told True Crime Daily that she personally wouldn't have necessarily called Tyler a close friend of Anita's. Anna said that if she had to list Anita's best friends, Tyler would not definitely not have been one of them. Anita's mom, Sharon, described Tyler as different. On the Monday when Gordon found Anita's body, Tyler was one of the first to arrive at the crime scene, which caught Gordon's attention as a little odd. However, Tyler also lived the closest. He continued to show his support and adoration for Anita after her death. He created a Facebook page in her honor. He also edited and uploaded a 20-minute long tribute video to YouTube. In his interview with True Crime Daily, Tyler said that police interviewed him that day when he was at the scene of the crime. However, he did not realize he was going to be labeled as a potential suspect yet. After police interviewed Tyler, he was cleared as a suspect. In this same True Crime Daily interview eight years later, Tyler explains why he'd never forgotten Anita. Because she was just so amazing. It just meant that much to me. Back in my first days of college, all my high school friends moved away and she was my only friend I had then. 
I'm a quiet, shy guy, and I'm not that much outgoing. So she was my, at that time, she was my only friend. She was just the most amazing person in the world, and she didn't deserve any of this. Police also interviewed Anita's roommate, whose name was initially kept from the public. She was one of the few people who had a key to the apartment. However, the roommate's parents provided her alibi. They claimed she was with them the entire weekend. Despite this, the roommate still had to go through polygraph tests and multiple interviews throughout the years. One witness told police that they'd seen a man running away from Anita's apartment around the same time that she would have been murdered. A sketch was created of a man who then came forward soon after that sketch was made public. The police spoke with him and they cleared him as a suspect. It turns out that he was just jogging at his normal time on his normal route. Police also spoke with the maintenance man who had found the sliced window screen. Remember, this maintenance man was also dating the apartment complex's supervisor as well. A year after Anita's death, the maintenance man died by suicide. This did cause some to suspect that he was the one that murdered Anita, but police hushed any suspicions surrounding the maintenance man. They said that they questioned him and they had already cleared him from the case. Among other potential suspects were some maintenance workers who were nearby doing some roofing work. Police questioned those workers and they cleared them as well from this case. Minot Police Investigator David Goodman told the Minot Daily News that authorities dwindled down the list of suspects from its original, quote, large circle of possible suspects. As police marked off multiple potential suspects from the list, there was one suspect who stayed there. She was someone police said was never ruled out as a possibility. And she was the one person who was physically closest to Anita. Anita's mom, Sharon, described Anita's roommate as an unsafe person. Sharon told True Crime Daily that Anita's roommate would invite male friends over and then leave, leaving Anita alone in the apartment with these males who were strangers to her. Anita complained about this and her roommate in general to her mother many times. At one point, she mentioned that her roommate had sent her threatening texts. They were so threatening that it put Anita in fear of her life. Multiple reports said that Anita and her roommate fought almost over everything. Police reported that one of the fights even turned physical when the roommate slammed Anita's foot in one of the doors. Sharon said Anita was researching places to move to and she was planning to move out. As we mentioned earlier, the police questioned the roommate. Her alibi was that she was staying the weekend at her parents' house on the other side of town. Police went ahead and took DNA swabs of her mouth, but they had no other further evidence to hold her. Gordon, Anita's father, had also said at the time of her murder that as far as they knew, she and her roommate had ended up coming to terms with each other. He mentioned that Anita had considered moving in with a married couple, but she ended up telling him that she didn't want to room with them because of the woman's husband. Gordon suspected that if the husband was hating on Anita, she would never have accepted that and therefore stepped back from moving in with them. Police received this tip along with countless other pieces of information from the public. They looked into every aspect of the case. Police Chief John Klug said that there was no obvious sign of blood left on the sliced window screen. Law enforcement did, however, confirm that they believed the window was not where the person who killed Anita entered the apartment. Chief Klug says that it didn't match up based on how the apartment was laid out and how far one would have to climb to get into that window. He said that it was difficult to know if the screen was the killer's intent to make it look like he or she had entered the apartment that way. He confirmed that there's another theory, that the screen was cut after the killing to throw the police off. Over the years, the case grew more cold, and law enforcement hoped new DNA collection technology would help advance the case. Even with the murder weapon in hand, the case was cold for 15 years. As investigators continued to look into tips and leads, everyone close to Anita had to deal with the grief of her loss. 
Anita's brother, Daniel, who had an especially close relationship with Anita, struggled to cope for years after her death. Family friend Aaron told the Inforum, quote, unless you knew him, it's really hard to describe it. He was outgoing. He was funny. He was homecoming king. People loved to be around him. And all that magnetism just died when she died. Sharon and Daniel got into drugs and appeared to be on the run constantly. Six years after Anita's murder, Daniel died by suicide. When asked on True Crime Daily if Gordon believed Anita's killer had now taken two lives from him, he replied with tears in his eyes, yes, definitely. Anna is now the only surviving one of her adopted siblings. As Anita's case grew colder over the years, many people, including family, friends, and community members, questioned whether the Minot police did enough. But the department denied allegations that they didn't test key pieces of evidence, including the murder weapon. Police said Anita liked to go dancing at a club in downtown Minot. They went through their list of customers and they were unable to find any information that could be considered a lead. One detective told True Crime Daily that there was blood on the sliced window screen, leading him to believe that the window screen was cut after the murder was carried out. The detective agreed with Chief Clug's theory that the intent of this was to mislead police officers and confuse them about the entry point. When they arrived at the scene, the front door was locked, which led the police to believe that the perpetrator may have either locked the door on their way out, or if it was locked when they arrived, they would have had a key or some other way to get inside. Not many people had a key to Anita's apartment. In fact, only four people had a key. Anita, her roommate, the landlord, and the maintenance worker. Fifteen years after Anita's brutal murder, her family finally got closer to finding justice in their extreme loss. In March of 2022, police arrested Anita's former roommate, 35-year-old Nicole Rice. She was arrested at her civilian job at Minot Air Force Base and charged with Anita's murder. Minot Police Chief John Klug credited his officers for refocusing and looking into the fine details. Chief Klug said, quote, it was a relief. It was good to know that finally one case that we've had hanging out there that we just could not get to a solution was finally over. He continued saying, quote, my heart goes out to the family. I wish we could have solved this sooner, but at the same time, I'm glad to say that we have the person responsible for the murder of Anita Knudsen in custody. Four years prior to Nicole's arrest, Minot police officer McKaylee Talbot started looking into Anita's murder. Officer Talbot pointed out discrepancies in Nicole's alibi. He also noted witnesses claiming the two childhood friends' relationships had deteriorated because of multiple issues, including arguments over a fish tank and an alarm clock. According to the Minot Daily News, Officer Talbot testified at a preliminary hearing in September 2022 that Nicole clearly had access to the crime scene since she lived with Anita. In court, the officer also mentioned that a month before her murder, Anita had put a lock on her bedroom door. The Washington Post reported that Officer Talbot said during the hearing that Nicole's ex-boyfriend told investigators that Nicole allegedly got belligerently drunk at a party and told him she did it. He said that when he brought up her admissions later when she was sober, she got angry and ignored his questions. As of September 2022, Nicole Rice pleaded not guilty to the murder of Anita Knudsen. According to the form of Margot Moorhead, Judge Richard Hager determined that there was probable cause that in June 2007, Nicole Rice, then 19, stabbed Anita in their apartment and left her face down in bed. The testimony from Detective Michaela Talbot revealed the differences in reputations that the roommates had in their inner circles. Friends described Anita as kind and friendly, whereas Nicole was painted as a hot-tempered reactionary. 
According again to Detective Talbot's testimony, friends said that Nicole was, quote, super jealous of Anita and called her derogatory names. As we mentioned earlier, a month before her death, Anita had called Gordon to help her install a lock on her bedroom door because she didn't feel safe in her own apartment. Nicole's defense team raised the possibility that there was another person responsible for the murder. Officer Talbot was questioned at the hearing about a man who had been arrested for breaking into Minot Homes well armed with a knife around the same time as Anita's murder. The lawyer went on to reveal statements from a witness indicating that a man had been seen running around in Anita's neighborhood. According to the Minot Daily News, Nicole's lawyers pointed out a police report that the man told his arresting officer, I've been in a lot of houses here. As of March 2023, just last month, attorneys for Nicole are asking the courts to compel the state to send them more forensics pertaining to the possible alternate suspect. They're asking for an updated North Dakota State Crime Lab DNA report in the case. In a motion filed mid-March 2023, Nicole's attorney said that the DNA report sent to the defense indicated that another male suspect was not tested. The defense attorney argues that conversations with state prosecutors and testimony from former Minot Police Detective McKaylee Talbot indicated the male suspect was tested, but that his DNA was not included in the report. The motion also called for an updated address for Officer Talbot in case she's subpoenaed for a deposition. In the meantime, 35-year-old Nicole Rice is facing a felony murder charge in the case of Anita Knudsen. A pretrial conference is scheduled for June 14th in Minot. Other than that, trial dates have yet to be set. Although the pretrial conference looms and a suspect is facing charges, nothing will fill the insurmountable loss that the Knudsen family has faced. They lost their daughter, Anita, to murder, and out of heartbreak from her death, their son, Daniel. With every case we cover, there's always more than one victim. The family, friends, the community. There are so many people who suffer long after a tragedy like Anita's. If you or someone you know is struggling, you can call the National Suicide Hotline at 988 in the U.S. Until next time, be sure to follow us on our socials at The Murder Diaries Pod. And check out our Patreon for more Murder Diaries content. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Content. And don't forget, stay safe. Bye. Bye.